Uh, I just believe in the process, and we're, we're going to win going through the process. Now, Bill's Mafia. It's time for the main event. So sit back and enjoy the show. Bill's Mafia, the boys are back in town. Mark, Robin, Matt, it's the Red, White and Buffalo Blues. And we're running up to training camp and talking all things Bill's offense in this episode. Robin, Mark, how are you guys doing? All good, thanks, mate. Uh, mostly good, like, like recovering, uh, quick, quick bit of news. I, I might, uh, when I did my uh, intro all those months ago about me being the, uh, Ed's Tudor pole of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the replacement on the, uh, the podcast. Well, uh, Matt Beauvais, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've noticed this in the podcast community, Matt Beauvais has now left to pursue solo projects on the Joe Bascalia a podcast and Matthew Fairburn has come back. Yeah, so I was going to. Uh, yeah, I just had a bit of bit of fun with Matt Bivey being the edge to the pole of the uh, of the of the Bills Beat uh, podcast. So yeah, so just a bit of a uh, you know Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor getting back together. Bob Monkhouse, <laughs> Bob Monkhouse returning to the Golden Shot. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, no, that's good. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I say we've had we've had talk. We've all had our own little um, off time, downtime, if you want to call it, the last uh, last month or so. But you looking forward to to the season coming up, or at least the off season and training camp? Yeah, yeah I'm not counting down the days or anything like that. I mean, it, let it let it be here and let it let it be now. Um, yeah. This is our year. This is our season. This is this is you know we're gonna go all the way and and I I'm so glad that I'm at least in a forum where my you know high pitched squeaking and, and excitement will be uh, will be recorded for posterity because I'm, I'm actually here in the year that we go all the way and win the Super Bowl so I, I, it's oh it, it can't come soon enough I tell you I I mean who who even cares about preseason games but I do now yeah all of a sudden because it's really it's a real game and I just want to see the guys back out on the field but yeah. you know before that it's training camp and that is that's going to be good as well because they you know they finally get the pads on and you know it starts starts being taken seriously yeah I mean obviously they've had they've had mini camp and um well mini camp OTAs whatever you want to call them t-shirt and shorts throw about yeah yeah just want to just want to get your opinion obviously there's a lot of talk going around and we'll ask mark when he uh when he gets back on because it seems like yeah. he's having computer troubles uh, um the feeling. whole jordan poyer situation yes because you've got minka fitzpatrick who's just signed what was it a four two three or four year deal for 18 18 million yeah. Yeah, thanks, Minx. You way way to reset the market there, make it even more difficult for uh, for Poya. But um, is, how do you do? You see, I could see something happening that yes, he'll get the he'll get the the pay rise. Hopefully, they'll give him the new contract. Maybe he will take the the hometown discount and just go un not loads under it, but enough that is actually. Um, it can be more suitable for the salary cap. So yeah. I, I think there is stuff in there. And the fact that they hadn't gone out really and actually got a safety, whether it be draft 
or free agency to me means they're not that concerned. They may yeah. not be that concerned at this moment in time yeah. of the fact that he could sit out or he could want to actually um, be traded. But yet, if it comes towards the end of the season yeah. and he still hasn't signed anything, then this, this is looking at us about a year in advance. See yeah. us going high for that safety. Yeah. Because can you trust... Can you see how Damar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson are going to progress and actually improve yeah. enough to actually not have a drop off, so to speak, with um, yeah. with Boyer? So I I think the Bills and and to their credit, actually, they've been pretty incredibly uh, tight lipped about the whole thing. They're they're allowing Poyer and his people and his wife to sort of mouth off on on social media and talk about how he's due a deal, but they haven't really been to it. And I think, you know, Bean is not someone you can blackmail or or power move. And I think if Poyer pushes it too hard, his side, Bean will call his bluff. And I think they all know that. And I think what they're looking for is a way to, you know, climb off the mountain. And I think they're all looking for a way to save face. So if you want to know what I think, and to echo your point, he's got a year left, hasn't he, of his deal. Now, there's nothing stopping, yes. there's nothing stopping them extending it for, for two or three years and, and giving it. I have a funny feeling they'll do another restructure of some other players, see what cash they can they can uh, free up. They'll kick some to Poya as a, I don't know, you know, you know how they manipulate things on the cap as a signing bonus or a first day of the mm. new season bonus or something like that. But it won't necessarily give them a new contract. They'll let him play out the year and then they'll they'll go. Because if you're Poya, yeah, you want to make some noise about having some more money, but surely you want to play on a team that's going to win the Super Bowl or at least has a very, very good chance of winning the Super Bowl. So but all his talk about being unappreciated or his you know, his murmuring and his, and his sort of muttering about not being not being paid well enough. He knows which side is bread's buttered. And I think that they will look for a compromise. They'll give him a little bit of money just to sort of quieten him down and save a bit of face, bring him back. He plays his heart out again and then maybe gets another deal somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. Mark? Um, I, I think a deal gets done. Um, yeah. I, I think that <sighs> players... I understand what you're saying about you want to play on a team that has got a good chance of winning the Super Bowl, but Tyreek Hill left to go to Miami. That's true. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, players want money. They know they've got short careers. They want to get. They want to maximise as much from it as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, I think that if he feels underappreciated, he's not going to be someone who's got a year left on his contract that thinks, I'm going to risk it, pick up a career-ending injury, and I don't get that next payday because oh, yeah. of it. If something happens this season, he's going to want to get paid. And I think he would almost rather sit it out if it wasn't going to happen, as we've seen with like people like Le'Veon Bell in the past. Mm. Um, you, I, think, you think that's a real possibility? You think it's a real possibility he could he could sit? No, I think I think he'll get paid. Okay. I, I think I think the deal gets done. Um, he's he's someone who I think is is competitive enough that he would much rather play obviously it happens to be that he's playing on a contender um so that that must make the decision a little bit easier but i 
there isn't another safety tandem in the league that matches ours. And Bean mm-hmm. knows that as much as Jordan Poyer knows that. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're you're bedding in a new part of our secondary as it is. You've got Trey White coming back. You don't know if he's going to be full fitness. The safeties were the cornerstone of our of our secondary mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. And if you want to maintain a Super Bowl challenge, you have to maintain that. And that's just what I've got a feeling a deal get a deal ultimately gets done. Yeah. So have the money. Okay. I think they could they'll I mean they've pulled they pull, right? they pull cap out their ass so far this <laughs> off season, so they'll find they'll find a way, right? They'll find some way. They'll pro prorate it, I think is the way. I mean it's always like, you know, like you said, it's they they seem to have increased signing bonuses, decreased amount of cap hit. So yeah. it doesn't go against the cap, but they're still getting the same amount of money or it'll be backloaded. So there's more money guaranteed for I whatever they do. They, they've got their fancy ways of, I mean, they paid, they managed to pay Von Miller, but we didn't have any cap space. So they paid we loads still of people. don't know that, how we did it, <laughs> how, how, how they did that. And I, I think that it's, it feels like, you know, we, the Bills were a, the Bills defense was probably one of the top three in the league without Von Miller. They didn't need to go and mm. get him, but they did anyway, just because it's about making a statement now. I think you've there's Bills are in absolute win now mode. The yeah. last thing you want to do is rock the boat by taking away one of your defensive linchpins or having a pissed off player because you're not paying him. I think the deal gets done. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's switch. Let's go let's go on to offense. I mean, obviously last year our offense was pretty much unstoppable. Apart from 13 seconds where our defence let, let, let it slip. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, well, and, and, and Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. And maybe yeah. week one against the Steelers. But, but yeah. But top top 10 in categories like um, total yardage with 381.9 yards per game, passing yards 252, passing yards per game, rushing 129.9 yards per game, which I'm kind of shocked on that one. And obviously points per game at 28.4. That was under Dable. Obviously, we're going into the new season with a lot of new chess pieces, let's put it that way, and a new first-time coordinator in in Ken Dorsey, but obviously backed by Joe Brady, who's called plays as an offensive coordinator, and Aaron Cromer, who's been an offensive coordinator, who's been a head coach, and obviously has that experience on there. What can you see? Can you see anything different from going from Dable to Dorsey? Obviously, he's going to say he's going to keep everything similar, so the same terminology. Mm. But do you see any difference? I mean, me personally, I think that he will... Clearly, he he will have his own ideas. Mm. Um, For someone who's been in the league a long time albeit not as an offensive coordinator, but he's he knows his way around an offence. The fact that he's been the quarterback's coach for three years, I think probably lends itself to he's going to be QB throw first rather than necessarily explore the run game. So although it's probably in his one of his targets from like Sean McDermott to make the offence more balanced... I, I think it will still be a throw first offense, and that's probably not a bad thing when you consider our, who the quarterback is. Um, but I, I personally, I don't think much will change. Um, if anything, I would like to see a step up and an improvement 
actually for someone who is um that there were at times last season for all the for as good as the offense was there were there were still some times that i found some of the play calling a bit baffling um mm. from Dable <clears throat> in certain games last season jacksonville especially and maybe the fact that Dorsey was observing that was in the ear of Alan or maybe Alan was in his ear saying, you know, I can't believe he did that potentially that type of thing. I just, I, I, I actually, th- I don't think it hurts us at all. I think that uh, Dorsey seemed to be in a position to step up. There were an awful lot of teams that wanted him when, um, when he, when he became available as for getting an offensive coordinator job, the fact that he's played quarterback yeah. to a very high level, at college and played in the NFL as a quarterback. That's that's experience that Brian Dable never had. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't worry me in the slightest. If anything, I'm I'm more positive going into the season than I was last. Mm. And you you've mentioned that earlier, Robbie Robin, that you actually um there is that win now mode yes. and and mm. obviously you've got let's say you've got the likes of. Um, Chroma Brady, um, uh, Mike Schuler has even done some, and even Rob Boras, the tight ends coach, has. But is it is it is it a case with it that you've got you've had now these chess pieces that we obviously know that he's going to keep most of the stuff the same? Do you see him at least putting a few different, few different looks in that offense, especially when you say like we've got the likes of OJ Howard and we've got mm. a a couple of pass catching backs to really open up that playbook, so to speak. Yeah, I think there's two really interesting, um, and I'm trying to think of the right the right word, so I'm just going to say, and hopefully you know what I mean, pressure points or pinch points, you might might yeah. say, in the Bills' offense, which was in 2021 was between Brian Dayball and Sean McDermott, where there was a little bit of chatter, and I know everyone looks for a story and looks for a thing that there was a bit of tension between the two of them about the play calling and about the balance, as, as Mark mentioned there, as was Dable too, too pass heavy. But I think the second one, which is even more interesting to me, is then the relationship between Dorsey and Josh Allen. And yeah. I, not for nothing, and I think actually for, it, for something very significant, Ken Dorsey was Josh Allen's choice as OC. When Brian Dable left, they said all the right things. They said, hey, you know, great job. Giants are calling. Good luck to you, mate. Head coach, best of luck to you. Big pat on the back out the door. What was the first thing Josh Allen said? I really hope Ken Dorsey gets to be, o- gets to be OC. And he was. And that's what, that so that should be all that matters, right? <laughs> yeah, and if you're interested in these sort of power games, and it depends how much weight you put on it, a, a balance of power and who who is in the room and who has the, you know, who, who sort of calls the shots. Of course, McDermott's the head coach. Of course he is. But you do sort of get the sense that it's shifted ever so slightly in the direction of Josh Allen, which means he's securing the passing game. And I think that's what they're going to do. Now, in the kind of old styles, to actually answer your question, Matt, in the sort of old days, they used to have, like in the Changeli days, they did lots of screen passes. And in the, I hate to mention it, Rex Ryan era, it was, you know, zone runs and it was, um, you know, wildcats and that kind of thing. So what I think about possible changes are those personnels. So I think they're going to do a couple of 13 personnels. I was reading about a 13, you know, one tight end and three backs, as well as a 22. 
So they'll have two tight ends out there. And I think it will still be pass first. But yeah. I think yeah. pass, you know, that, that you know, it'll be pass on first down first. But I think they will build in a plan B, a plan C, and a plan B. They'll they'll work on a two tight end package. They'll work on, I think interestingly, a three running back package as well. And I'll make one final kind of prediction. I think, you know, Moss did not have a good season. He was he really fell in, in the pecking order. I think maybe he does a little bit of a of a resurgence, not in a every down back sense, but as a sort of gadget. I think maybe Dorsey works on a sort of gadgety kind of thing to get Moss involved. Third third down, third third down short yard situation. He's a bit of yeah. a long ball. Yeah, you got you you bring on Johnson, Singletary, and Moss as your third plus Dawson Knox as your as your tight end. You run it in thirteen. You've still got. You you still got a receiver up there. You've got Knox who can who can pick it up for the six or seven yards. But then you potentially got Moss and you've got a pass catching Duke Johnson or even a Duke Johnson running from the backfield. So you've almost got five you know five possible options there. And I think it's that multiplicity that Dorsey may well bring. Yeah, I mean you did mention it, and this is something that's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out is obviously how McDermott is going to be in this have with his input and all that. I mean, I was reading a article, um, Scott Lynham, um, obviously saying that McDermott is more than likely going to have quite a bit of input to make the transition obviously a lot more smoother for him. And obviously, as a defensive coordinator that Sean McDermott was and a defensive head coach, that maybe that positive impact and positive reinforcement from what he can throw at a guy like Ken Dorsey could really help build his philosophy and actually um, really, I wouldn't say chuck him in at the deep end, but what's the best, I don't know what the best turn of phrase for, for that would be, but really hit, make him hit the ground running and actually show that come Thursday night football against the, um, against the Rams, we're there, bang, We've mm. smashed it, and we're on that roll and on that road to to the Super Bowl. Well, I'll tell I'll tell you one thing. Actually, I was just reading this this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> our, our friend, uh, you know, friend of friend of the podcast community, Sal Calpaccio, was saying that at some point during the previous off season, Ken Dorsey was actually promoted to passing game coordinator, mm-hmm. which is something I only learned today. Maybe you guys knew that already. Wasn't obviously made public by the Bills during that particular off-season. So I don't think the, the line about Ken Dorsey being a bit green with p- play calling, I don't think necessarily checks out. Now, I, I haven't done too much background reading about what passing game coordinator means because it does seem that they have a coach for every single day of the week and every single position. And <laughs> Sitting down coordinator. Third down coach and half-time coach and third quarter coach. And, you know, but... Passing game coordinator does seem to me that he was getting in the room for the play calling as if they were maybe getting, you know, because, I mean, the previous season, of course, Dayball could have gone to the Chargers, couldn't they? And, yeah. it was, you know, it was a close run thing. Maybe he would have gone there. So maybe they were lining Dorsey up just in case. So I don't <laughs> think he's quite, it's obviously different when you've actually got the headset and it's you that's actually making the call. But I don't think Dorsey's completely coming to this as a, as a, as a naive mm. uh, Caller, I think he's going to have a little bit of, of experience. Yeah, and when you have when you have, I say, defense play callers, offensive coordinators such as 
Shuler, Brady, as say, Cromer, and all that. Mm. Mark, you can see that not they they're showing the same sort of um, philosophy they did when they drafted Josh Allen, putting weapons around Josh. It seems like they're doing pretty much the same with Dorsey, putting I wouldn't say weapons in there. Let's say put knowledge and expertise in and around Dorsey to help him get to grips a bit more and actually have that experience to pass on. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think it's it, it's a club at the moment that's filled with experience. It's filled with knowledge. How we've managed to blag Leslie Frazier still being there, I've, I've genuinely no idea um, because that's, that's an NFL head coach who's our defensive coordinator. Um, and so, yeah, he may be the the guy who's in the role that's never done it before and that would worry me had he not been working directly with Josh Allen for three years mm. knew the offense inside and out it means the terminology stays the same it means the playbook doesn't alter massively mm. he's not coming I would be more worried actually I think if we were bringing in like a a really experienced offensive coordinator like a big name in that area but it meant Josh Allen was having to completely relearn a playbook. I yeah. would I, I would much rather stick with the consistency, the guy that Josh Allen wanted, with the experience, as you say, for the guys around him to help him kind of like do the coaching X's and O's so he knows what he needs to do on a day-to-day basis. But keeping that level of consistency for me is is a, is a massive W. Yeah. And I think and, and it's not just the coaches. He'd also he's come out and said that He's gonna have. He's gonna rely not just on Josh Allen, but every single one of those experienced members on that um, on that offensive side. So your likes of Diggs, even your offensive linemen, your um, your what, your Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary. He's just gonna rely on them to actually give him the input and give him the feel and and, and the mind for the game. So it helps him a lot more. And I think that's what we like about how this team's been built. It's been built to, it's almost like the Musketeers, you know, the four Musketeers saying all for one and one for all. Mm. You probably apply that to this Buffalo Bills team. Yeah. So everyone's going to have each other's back. Everyone's going to be here and there to actually really make it that close-knit family that they'll help you out when you're, when you're down, they'll help you out and help you figure out what's going wrong and making sure we can, we can correct it. No one's whining about not getting enough reps. No one's whining about not getting enough yards or enough passes, are they? It's all just, you know, working together. You know, Von Miller goes and takes uh, Rousseau and Basham to his, uh, you know, uh, pass rushing camp kind of thing. He, he, you know, he's says he's got his open book. He's just teaching the guys. It's all about bringing bringing the right people in who fit the culture that's there. And I know that's such an overused word, but you know, when McDermott got in, he. He, he kind of went for experience in the first couple of years because I think he was just trying to figure things out himself because obviously he was a first-line head coach. But he'd, now he's been here a couple of years or well, no, four or five years. He's got the culture. He's now just picking people that's going to slot into that, that's going to that's gonna fit that. And he seems to be going for character and profile over, you know, the, the, the touchdowns or the sacks, well, you know, the stat lines. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I tell you one thing as well. It's like maybe slightly off topic. You know, McDermott will have drilled. A, will have a thirteen-second playbook. <laughs> right, right. 
Okay, guys, we've got 13 seconds left. You know what to do, don't you? Yeah, there's got to be no more miscommunication. And the, no and, the first one is, and the first one is don't fucking kick it to them. Don't do that. Yeah. Remember what happened last time. You know, he's, you know, you look at 2020, maybe too conservative. 2021, he's going for it on fourth down. I think he's a guy, McDermott's a guy that's actually learning as well and growing. And he's not going to let a Jags game happen again. I, and I don't. And he's not going to let a 13-second miscommunication or whatever the hell it was. So I think it's all about from coaches and players that they're getting better. Yeah. So so what what we're going to do now? Let let let's let's do a comparison. Obviously, we'll go through the, all the positions, and pretty much it's going to be: have we got better? Have we got worse? From the offensive side, from it, and obviously. One which is going to be interesting to gauge is how we got better or worse at quarterback. Obviously, last year we had um, Trubisky and obviously Josh Allen. Obviously, we had Davis Webb and um, Jake from for some of the season as the backups from the practice squad. This year, we've got Barkley, we've got Allen and we've got Case Keenum. Mm. When you look at Josh Allen's stats and how he can actually bring into this offense. I mean, last last year he was ranked second best in the NFL as per next-gen stats with um, pressure evasion rate of 24.3% through the second most touchdown pass on tight window throws, eight. And getting these offenses on, oh, then you pieces in. Is, it, is, the def, is the quarterback room better, similar, or worse? Than 2021, know what Keenum has and can do. So for me, I mean, it seems like a really moot point, doesn't it? The room, the room's a 10 out of 10, but that's because who the starter is. Mm. Um, and it was a 10 out of 10 last season. I personally think the room, if you're looking purely at backups, I think we're slightly worse off this year than we were last. Okay. I think in, in Mitch Trubisky, um, you're now potentially talking about the Steelers starting quarterback. I think he was probably the best backup in the NFL last year. Um, Case Keenum, from what I can see, has had one one really good year, admittedly with Stefan Diggs, um, but has had one really, really good season in the NFL. Um, the rest of his time, he's been a bit journeyman. Matt Barkley, who's there, is something and nothing. Um, uh, Trubisky for me is a better backup than either Keenum or or Barkley this year, but you hope it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean he went he went obviously his history obviously 2016 or 2013 was one big um, with starting role with the Texans um, 52 54.2% completion rating 1760 yards nine touchdowns. Six inceptions, then he tailed off until nine six. nine touchdowns, and that's one of his big seasons. Yeah, in 2016, we went to with the Rams. His completion percentage went up, his um, yards went up, his touchdowns stayed the same, his interceptions went up to 11, and his rating went down. Then Vikings, Broncos, where they actually went up. He's a he's a journeyman though, isn't he? He's yeah, like he's, he's not he's not a starting quarterback. He had that one year, and like for the life of me, I can't remember if he went in as the starter at the Vikings or whether it was because um, Teddy Bridgewater. That was the year he got injured, mm. um, and then he had the whole like Stefan Diggs sideline playoff run season, 
Um, but I don't think anybody expected Case Keenum to be that guy for that season. He's, you know, he's a perfectly serviceable backup and he'll do a yeah. fine job. I've got no, he brings good experience. I've got no issue with it. I just think that it's <clears> like where, and as, as a backup role QB under Mitch, that's like an eight out of 10. Case Keenum and Matt Barkley's like a, a seven out of 10. It's, okay. uh, it's not a major drop off, but like you said, you hope it doesn't matter at all because. If if we have the season we all want to get, neither of them see the field at all. Yeah, Rob, Ryan. Yeah, it's it's probably not much more to add if you're if your main starting quarterback and your your Super Bowl, hopefully your Super Super Bowl winning quarterback does go off the field. We all hope it's not going to be for very long. Yeah, and and I think if if Case Keenum and Matt Barkley come on, it'd be a lot more run game. It'll be a lot more limited um, offense. But you, you just yeah, you just have to hope when it comes to the quarterback position, that their injuries are few and um, short in time. Yeah. yeah. So so running back last year was um, Singletary, Moss, Taiwan Jones, Matt Breeder. This year, it's, well, include, we obviously haven't done the 53, so we're going to do it with the extra, with all 90 on the roster. So we've got... Singletary, um, Cook, Moss, Duke Johnson, Taiwan Jones. I don't know whether to class Gillum as a running back or having no. more in a tight end type. He's, he's a fullback that you again hope never sees the field. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got the uh, Raheem Blackshear, according to the yeah. first slide that I have in front of me. Yeah, so better or worse or the same going into this coming season compared to compared to last I think it's an arrow up because I think you've got James Cook who uh, we got in the draft we've got Duke Johnson who we signed in the off season we've got I, I, I'm going to state my case I don't think they extend Devin Singletary <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill I, I, I really like Devin Singletary don't get me wrong nothing against the man but I, I, running back, this isn't the 1970s anymore, apart from in this country. Um, it's not a running back league anymore. I think you can get a running back and, and run them for three or four years. And if they're not Saquon Barkley, you can just get another one. And as, as, as brutal as that sounds. And I think James Cook could be a could be a replacement thing, De- Devon. Add to that Duke Johnson with the you know the possibilities of him being a, a pass catching running back as well and all the third down options we were talking <laughs> about. I think we had a six and a half or maybe a seven running back room last year. I think potentially, and obviously it's preseason, we don't know. I think potentially we have an eight, eight and a half running back room this year. Mm. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a it's a funny one. I I think James Cook, as you point out, is the X factor here, because yeah. I, I I think he will be the third down back catching receive catching re, like receiver back almost, because mm. um, I think that's why he's been drafted because of his ability to catch the ball almost probably more than his ability to rush. Um, how I I think we'll keep Singletary. I think he came on especially the second half of last season. I think he came on a lot. For me, it's Moss that will be out the door. Um, I think that um, the need, you hope, because of the options that we've got, almost the need for that bowling ball running back that can trundle you in four or five yards to get over the goal line. 
you won't need as much, mainly because we've got Josh Allen that can do that. Yeah. Um, you look at how often we did it and how successful he was. The amount of times for a big guy, he's tackled in the backfield by the first defender <laughs> that he comes across. I, I, I think personally, it's it's Moss that is probably the most in danger. Um, I I think that if we're going into the season with with full backs, um, it's Singletary, James Cook, Duke Johnson, and Tywan Jones personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Moss is the one that's most in danger. Um, Duke Johnson, invaluable experience. James Cook, ability to catch the ball. I think Devil Singletary becomes our main featured running back. Um, and you hope that the offensive line actually is the thing that can step up enough to make his life a little bit easier. Um, I, I, I agree with you, though. I think the addition of Cook makes that a, it's a trending up rather than trending down. Mm. I mean, let me let me run the stats from last year for Bills running back, and we're going to talk about more the receiving bit. That hence why they drafted James Cook on there. Our third rank out thirty two for targets for so the running back and passing game. They were they were twenty fifth out thirty two with eighty seven targets. Twenty sixth out thirty two with receptions with seventy. Twenty fourth out thirty two in yards with four hundred ninety seven. 18th out of 32 in yards per reception at 7.1, 7.3 yards after the catch per reception, 20th. Passer rating when targeted, 22nd out of 32 with 91.4. And PFF receiving grades, I've got this from the PFF um, site, 43.9. And that's 30th of 32. Not great then, is it? Even in his first two seasons, Josh Allen had a low, low the lowest checkdown rate in the NFL at 2.3%. Since then, it's still bottom five, but it's gone up to 4.6. Yeah, we just didn't and, do it. We and uh, and some of that is because of the options that we had at slot, um, mm. Cole Beasley, and the the development of Dawson Knox as a tight end catching option obviously mean that you you're not having to target your your running back as much, but it just wasn't wasn't part of our game. It wasn't in the game plan. We just didn't do it. And whether that's because that's not the scheme or because we didn't have the running backs to catch the ball, um, I don't think Singletary or Moss were ever particularly skilled in that area. Yeah, and you and, and you look in the likes of and you look at James Cook's receiving stats um, in college, um, and this is compared to all the twenty twenty running backs. Um, yards per route, 1.69, uh, 1.63 yards, which is ranked third, fourth out of 33 of the draft eligible running backs, 10.2 yards per reception, second. Pass rating when targeted, 134.3, a second out of 33. So you've got a guy here who ran for 1,012 scrimmage yards, 11 touchdowns, 23 explosive plays in 21 in 2021 in college no mean feat because yep. they had to play the likes of Alabama about two or three times in that season some really good SEC defenses but own forcing 31 broken tackles uh, you've just got a guy there that's dropped one mm. 68 catches targets over his career that you've got someone now that really gives you that great skill get skill get skill set that you wanted in the um when you actually went to try and sign McKissick. 
on there. So you've got you've got a guy that Robin's still not over that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I almost was until you just mentioned it. <laughs> I just about put it to bed, but then the feeling was just. I mean, last last year the whole the running back was saying is forty three point nine percent receiving grades for the running backs. Um, single Terry was only was out of the 50 running backs who played at least 125 snaps with 39.7%, right near the bottom rank last. And in the senior season, James Cook was a top eight receiving running back. So really for me, I think it's more of a, a trending upwards. I still think Moss will be in there. I think it's going to be between Johnson and Jones, but I can see Jones getting it mainly for his special teams especially in prowess. Yeah, that's what, and that's why I picked him over Moss, um, mm. purely for special teams. Um, but yeah, it could e- it could easily be that. So, and it's not me. It's not me hating on Moss. I just think he's he's very much flattered to deceive over the couple of years that he's been here. I just don't really see what he adds necessarily. He's like he was brought in as this kind of complementary, you know, like big guy running back. He's just not done it, has he? Yeah. So let's move on. This is where the biggest turnover, I believe, has happened. The wide receiver room. So we had, if I remember, Diggs, Beasley, Davis, McKenzie, Kumaro, and Marquez Stevenson. So anyone else I missed from last, uh, last season? Sanders. Who? Sanders. Manuel Sanders. Sanders. Yeah. Um, and that uh, are you looking at slot already, or is that different? Different. Yeah, room? no, I've got put them all all the wide receivers. So Cole, one, Cole, did you say Cole group. Beasley? I said Cole Beasley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. And this year you've got Diggs, Davis, Crowder, Shakir, McKenzie, Kumaro, Hodgins, um, Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin. Austin. Who else have I missed? I think that's that's the major ones. They're like McKenzie, Mabel. Stevenson, they're still there. Talent yeah. Gentry. So really better, worse, or the same for the wide receiver ring. So this is a big tick up for me. Big, big tick up. I think that um I in in terms of starters, especially, Diggs is still is still the main guy. Um, I love the step up that was shown by Gay Davis, and I think mm. that what he managed to do in the, the that playoffs game against the Chiefs really gives him that that emphasis to go and, and press on and be a starting wide receiver in this league now. Um, so I think he takes over from Emmanuel Sanders and is a massive a massive step up there in terms of starting slot receiver. Um, Beasley, fantastic a couple of years ago, loved it. COVID hit, he became a bit of a keyboard warrior. He was injured a lot last season and just really wasn't wasn't the same guy. So I'm I'm not at all disappointed that he's gone. I think Jameson Crowder again is a big a big step up there. I also think Isaiah McKenzie is going to be pressing to to be that that starting slot receiver too. And he showed in the game again away at um, at the Patriots, what what he could do um, when he had the opportunity. Tavon Austin, I think, is a sneaky, interesting pickup as well um, to see how he can get on if he's got any um, juice still in the tank. 
those key ones though for me it's those starting positions i think two of the three start as a different and um a, a big big step up in the right direction yeah um, robin you got any, you got anything to add what, what do you think up yeah, down I, I, only a very only a couple of short comments where i pretty much echo what what mark said there i've always got al michael's um not even jerry rice when gabe davis got that fourth postseason touchdown in uh, in 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 one game if that doesn't inspire you to to go out and be you know a leading receiver absolutely nothing will um I heard some i was reading a thing the other day about Tavon austin now i know you don't want to get too carried away with otas and and, and mini camps but he's he's had a really good um uh, ota session so it'd be interesting interesting to see how he gets on at uh, at training camp i don't think we mentioned uh Khalil Shakir. Oh, maybe we did it. Brief, brief yeah, mention yeah. of him. He's almost in a position where they, you know, they pick, they they managed to pick him up late on in the draft, and yet he can just sit there. He's a, mm. he's, you know, he he can be how many how many wide receivers do we usually take? Seven, six, seven, six, seven, mainly. Yeah. So assuming they're not going to cut the guy, you know, and he does he does all the right stuff, he can sit there in that sixth or seventh seventh position and just have a year where he just learns from the guys in front of him. Um, I think McKenzie's going to enter it again. They're not going to get rid of McKenzie because he, he's going to be fine. He's he's going to want to, um, you know, prove that he he deserves to be on the team. He's made these plays, but I, I have seen him sort of go missing a. A few times as well. I think there's ever such a slight question mark over McKenzie, and if you know if Shakir gets on the on, on the field, if Tevin Austin gets on the field, if Crowder's on the field, and then you've still got Diggs and Davis, does does McKenzie be that 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 guy that gets kind of left behind? Maybe. I, I, I don't think they will go into the season with three slot receivers in the in the in the one, roster. The one go. So I think I think one one will go. I don't. It won't be Jameson Crowder. I personally can't see Tavon Austin. And Isaiah McKenzie making the final roster. Interesting. Okay. I kind of depend if they use Austin prim- primarily for your your punts and kick returns. Possibly. Yeah, I was going to ask that question as well. So if we talk about wide receivers, that doesn't include people who you'd keep on for punt returns and and special teams. You you wouldn't be classified as a wide receiver or one of the seven wide receivers if your job was primarily. Or at least you were fulfilling a role of punt returns. Well, the person who they, I think they envisaged doing that was Isaiah McKenzie. Mm. Um, so it almost puts them in direct competition in two places as well. You know, they're both nominal slot receivers and punt and kickoff returners. So it, it's it's fast. I can't see them keeping both because they are very very similar skill set players. Yeah. And just, but just my question was though that. If if let's say they go with seven receivers, does that include punt returners and and kickoff returners as well, or is that a designated position? I think I think I, it would. If they went seven, then I think the seventh would be exclusively be yeah. a punt a punt and kick returner. Right. So there's no such position then on the 53 roster as the punt return. Guy. We have we have That's we have had so back in back in like a couple of years ago when we had Andre <clears throat> Roberts, um, he yeah. was that's all he was. And he was a specialist at it, but when it came to contract time, they got rid of him because they knew that as as valuable as he was to the team, 
it was a position that they could use for a wide receiver. So, yeah, I don't think we will have a specialist in that role now. Mm. Okay. So, essentially, that is then just the wide receiver position. If you end up doing another role, great. Yeah. But that's still considered one of the seven. Yes, I think so. Finding something to do. And I think Marcus Stevenson, when he was drafted last year, again, was someone... Um, that we spoke about when I came on um, this pod last year as my defender draft was someone that I, I wanted to pick as a because he was so good in special teams. Um, so I he's he's again he's someone that could could easily do the job. Yeah, and I mean the good thing is as I say with with Shakir, you've got a guy that can play outside, inside, and all that. You can line him up in backfield. But the guy I'm really looking forward to and his stats over his career don't really show that much on there as such is is Crowder himself because he's not really had a thousand a thousand season um a thousand yard season on there but he's constantly been getting you your 10 11 probably 13 yards per reception game and for a slot guy and we know what Josh Shannon can do with being evasive I think he is going to be probably one of the more important guys other than Diggs and Davis in this in this offense because you look at it, I mean, last year with the Jets, or the last two years with the Jets, is it's declined a bit for him, but he did have... <laughs> and who's been thrown in the ball? Yeah, he had Zach Wilson, he had... Yeah, no offensive line, they were, they, were, they were a shower... He's one of those ones for me that is a bit of a money ball signing. You know, he's mm. he's not a big flashy name, but he gets on base. And yeah. I, I think he's the type of person that can get yards and just be quietly extremely effective. A bit like Cole Beasley was when he came in from the Cowboys. I don't think anybody expected him to have those first couple of years of impact that he had. Um, and I think I think Crowder can come in and have a, a really, really similar impact. Mm. So, so tight ends, I think. This not had the radical change, really. I'm going to put Gillum in as a tight end on here. Um, last year, you had Sweeney when he was active. You had Dawson Knox, Reggie Gillum, and that was pretty much... Your... Hollis, Hollister was there going into the season as well, don't forget. Yeah, until he got... We got, got, got rid cut. of him. Yeah, he got cut, but he was, he was, uh, he was around. So you okay? We use him, and then this year you've got um, you've got Knox, Gillingham, um, OJ Howard. You've got Sweeney. You've got Windermere. If he does go on there, so for really me that that is a thumbs up on there because you've got now you've got two tight ends that can really be a mismatch on there when you play the the two tight end sets. Have OJ Howard is a bit more of an all rounder, so he is a good blocker. Have him as a distraction on that block. You see, like Gronk does it a fair few times, where he actually goes to block and then sneaks out underneath undetected. It's just another weapon. And really, with OJ, you've got someone else in that game that can be that really good pass catching out of the outfield and booster, boost the stats again for Josh Allen. That were your guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes or no. Well, it 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 gives them the real possibility of having two tight ends 
as a as an active formation, which I mean I can't even remember the time when when the Bills had two tight ends that they could they could legitimately um, use. Isn't they've always they've always had maybe one pass catching one and maybe one blocking tight end, haven't they? Like they've never really had Smith type. Yeah, yeah, but it's been a while, isn't it? That that, that, that was a while. Um, and let's, let's let's be honest. We don't have a very rich history when it comes to catching <laughs> tight ends, you know. I think we, when we we had the conversation when we were talking about like our all time dream team tight ends, and I think we were like Dawson Knox and like Pete Metzelas from the early nineties, oh, and that's yeah, it. Metzelas, yeah, yeah, that that's kind of it. There isn't anybody else, is there? Well, you could throw Scott Chandler in there. I thought, yeah, 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 he's okay. Had a good year or two, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he's okay. Can go, didn't he? But, I mean, the good thing with Howard's stats is you look at it. I mean, he spent all his years with Buccaneers. His last two years, his receptions and his yardage went down. But that's obviously because of Gronk and the emergence of Goodwin, Evans, and just all the wide receiver options on there. But his average, his yards per average, yards per catch, 16.6, 16.6, 13.5, 13.3, 9.6. So you've got a guy who is going to be productive out of that out of that backfield, and as I say, he is a he is a guy that is a bit more well-rounded than Dawson Knox, a bit more than Tommy Sweeney, and then I think it is enough. And you've also got Reggie Gillum; he can come out. He's, you can see blocks. I think was it Denver? One of the Denver games when he was up, went out ahead of Josh Allen, like pancake three Broncos defenders. But he can go out on the run as a fullback, as a running back, as a tight end, and all that, and give us another option. So I think we're looking we're looking up on that one. Yeah, I think so. The the addition of OJ Howard is is great. Um, definitely a, a step up on um, like Hollister or Sweeney, who were our second options going into the season last year. Um, Knox probably stays the starter. And that it's it's almost trending up in the right direction because last season was kind of it was very, it was sort of his big breakout year, wasn't it? As a as mm. a pass catching touchdown scoring tight end, um, he was he was becoming the red zone threat for Josh Allen for for large parts of the season. I like that. I like the fact that with OJ Howard we can have a lot of two tight end sets. Gives us a lot to play with, especially. One of the things that we struggled in last year, red red zone offense, we weren't particularly great yeah. when we got under the twenty. Um, two tight end sets with with OJ Howard, Dawson Knox, lends itself to some options there. Maybe with like a little bit of sprinkle of James Cook in there as well. If we are going to throw the ball in those situations, we've got more depth. Um, yeah, it's. I don't think I don't think it's hugely trending up, but it's certainly better than better than last season. Yeah. So last last group is the offensive line. There's definitely been a bit of a change in the offensive line yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah. You had Mitch Morse, Ike Botka, you had um, Ryan Bates, you had Tommy Doyle, you had um, Daryl Williams, uh, Dion Dawkins, uh, Spencer Brown, um, Cody Ford, uh, John Feliciano. And this year you've got um, Mitch Morse, uh, Dion Dawkins, uh, Ryan Bates, Roger Saffold, 
Uh, Ike Botker, Dion, uh, I said Dion Dawkins, Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle, Greg Manx, uh, Jordan Kappa, Greg DeRuna, uh, Will Anderson, uh, not Will Anderson, um, Luke Twain, I can't pronounce his name, Tuetta. Quesenberry. Uh, Quesenberry, yeah. yeah. From Tennessee. Botka, um I can't remember. I think that was, I think that might be it, but we you see a massive turnaround on there. I think I think we might know what our top five, our, our first five is gonna be. It's gonna be Dawkins, Saffold, Morse, Bates, and um and Spencer Brown. Yeah. What do we make of the of that stock up, stock down, and obviously with, with the backups on there? Because I mean, oh wait, I forgot one name. Which I shouldn't, which we should just forget. Bobby Hart. <laughs> oh, Bobby, yeah. Let's, let's talk about old Bobby. I don't think you mentioned <laughs> Cody Ford either, which probably isn't too bad a thing. Yeah. But I mean, um, what, what, yeah. what's your thinking on that? So, I, I, again, for me, it's the strength and depth that we've added because we've added starters to it. Roger Saffold key addition and yeah we've got Ike Booker coming back but he's potentially second or third choice um, Mm -hmm. left guard now Um, I think last season we were going into it where we were thinking probably our starting right guard was Cody Ford and our starting right tackle was Daryl Williams Um, Mm. Spencer Brown became the starter through good play last year and I think that the fact that he's going to be keeping that slot right tackle is good the emergence of Ryan Bates is better. Quesenberry means that we're, we, you know, we've got good depth on, on right tackle. And as long as Cody Ford still manages to get nowhere near the field, then then I'm quite happy. Um, I think it's, it, it feels like it's not a ridiculous change in personnel other than Saffold, um, because a lot of the the starters were there last year. And probably, if I'm honest, it's the one area of concern i have over the entire roster yes yeah. offensive line it's um i think it's it's good Still enough room for improvement yeah yeah it's it's good enough to get away with it um and it's i think it's got the potential to be kind of an average to good starting starting o line it's also got the potential to be freaking awful if kind mm. of the the sum of their parts play down to probably the level of their ability rather than what the collective could be. Um, and I'm more thinking the right side of the line with Bates and Brown. Um, yeah. Because of the quarterback, we get away with it a lot. Mm. And because of his ability to create plays out of nothing, Saffold makes it better. Um, but I still think it's a, it's a six out of 10, six and a half out of 10 room. Yeah. Robin. Yeah, you're hoping, aren't you, that Saffold slots in at left guard like he's like he's been there, like he's the next, uh, hopefully a, a non-racist Richie Incognito. Absolutely, uh, so he <laughs> slots, slots in beautifully. And yeah, you may, you mentioned their right guard is just the only question mark there because you've got Ryan Bates, who I think we all we all know and love. Has he played that much at right guard? Is he going to be okay at right guard? Because without him, you do have Cody Ford, and you really hope that last year was a um, was a blip, but then you think, well, what has he done now? He's had four four it, years. He's awful. He's just never done it, has he? He's a revolving they, door. They tried him at right tackle. He couldn't yeah. quite do right tackle, so he went to right guard. And yeah, it's just not worked for him, has it? We, I, I mean, I feel pretty good 
about Dawkins and Brown as the yeah. tackles. I feel pretty good about Mitch Morse, although five concussions is at least four concussions too many, and that yeah. always worries me. Um, about long-term at Central, I know he's just got a new contract himself. Great. But, yeah, it's it, it, it was a six or a six or seven. Oh, no. It was probably a six or a six and a half last year. If Saffold slots in and, and Rick can play like he does at right guard and he's just that guy that can just play every position on the O-line, then mm. you may be looking at a seven. Um, but, yeah, like I always say, with Josh Allen, you only need to be good enough, don't you? Yeah. I think, uh, for me, I think what makes it more passable for me is the, um, is the return of um, Aaron Cromer as the offensive line coach, because you've got a guy who, as his previous spell, as mentioned when he first signed, didn't better sign back, his previous spell actually helped the Bills lead the rush and actually um, keep, who was the quarterback at the time, 2015, 2016, it's like Manuel, wasn't it? Manuel, Tyrell, uh, Taylor. Yes, it was there 2013, uh, oh, um, wasn't the ex-Patriots guy, or was that the wrong time? No, not uh, sure. But that yeah, that period, he actually he actually got the best out of his um out of his offensive line. I feel we can do the same again. I mean, the one thing I I did have a bit of a banter with the with the Jets when we signed uh, Greg Van Rolten to a one year deal. I asked him for their opinion, and he goes, um, "He's not much loved player. He uh, was pretty bad last year. Threw Wilson under the bus in his first game and didn't really protect him when called upon. Obvious weak link." However, he signed with the Bills, so an empty pro bowler, to which I then put, so he's an interior version of Bobby Hart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> but I think, I do think that next year it's going to be, that's going to be a priority for for this offseason, because I don't, I think the depth there is, it's not as bad, it's not as good, could be better, but I do see enough that can actually get us by with, their quarterback play and with the offensive line coach. So I yeah, think so. It's, it's one of those positions for me where we have to hope and pray that our, our starters who I'm, I'm okay with the, the starting five as a unit, you've got to hope and pray that they don't get any long-term injuries because you're, you're not a million miles away from, you know, Cody Ford and Ike Booker being back in and the, the rest of them. And it becomes very weak very quickly. Mm. Yeah. So that is the offense or the new 2022 Bills offense in, I would say a nutshell, but let's call it a podcast episode. Could be a lot longer. But is there any last words that you guys want to put out regarding this um, this offense or have we pretty much covered everything in the uh, in the show? I, I think I think we've we've talked about the fact that it's it, it, almost all areas are trending in the right direction, and I don't think that's just you know with rose tinted glasses. That's kind of it seems pretty obvious that to me. There's not many um, like rookie additions to that mm. team that's mm. like that, that's troubling the starters. James Cook potentially and, and Khalil Shakir maybe on the outskirts of it, but. Cook is the Cook is the really interesting one for me. 
running running the ball hasn't been our hasn't been our strong suit for a little while. Maybe that's offensive line. Maybe that's his, well, it's definitely scheme. But let let's see what James Cook can do. We, we're talking about him as being this pass catching back, but he's obviously got pretty good bloodlines when it comes to rushing the ball. Um, with what his brother's doing in in Minnesota, if he is anything like as productive as we hope he can be, it transforms our offense and it gives a threat on the run that we just didn't have for a lot of times last season. And that helps the the offensive line because you're not just keying in on Josh Allen the whole time. It helps Josh Allen. It helps the receivers. It makes everything that we can do far less predictable um, and much more interesting to see. And I think it's it's a crucial thing for us if he can if he can really hit the ground running and perform so that's that's the a, a crucial big tick for me and we hope that he can um be a massive x factor yeah robin any last any last words yeah i think i think the only question mark is probably going to come next week when we come to do the come to do the defense and we come to do um you know possible the cornerback position i i you're seeing the rookies as mark says they're stepping into existing rooms so again the de- the demands they don't need to save the team. They don't need to uh, hang the team on their shoulders. We're just hoping if James Cook can give us some good production and 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 transform it, that would be a terrific bonus. But the season doesn't rise or fall on the guys that they've brought in. The core that we already have is more than good enough to get 10, 11, 12, 13 wins. These, if, if it falls right, will get us... Even more, we'll get us a, num- a guaranteed number one seed, and you know, feet up in December, waiting for January. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to keep your feet on the ground because I mean they're going to have some, they're going to have a hell of a time deciding who to cut. They're going to be some 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 tough decisions, and you know, isn't that isn't that the best problem to have in the world? Yes. Yeah. Gone are the days where we're drafting people and then like really really hoping that they can perform because they're going to be going in as week one starters. Yeah. Um, it's really nice that we're adding positions that can add depth rather yes. than that you've got all that position that, that position pressure on them right from the start. Yeah, depth yeah. and variety now, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 different kinds of weapons, not weapons full stop. Yeah. Yeah. So we're back, as we said, we've reviewed the offense next week, death defense leading up to training camp, we'll do camp battles we'll have guests coming on team previews a lot coming up in this off season as we get ready to head into training camp and obviously into pre-season and then all the way to the first game of the new season when we face the super bowl champs the los angeles rams so all i say is keep following us on all the socials join the whatsapp group there's a link on the facebook page Buffalo Bills UK, you can get us at UK underscore Bills at RWBB underscore podcast on Twitter, Buffalo Bills UK on YouTube, UK underscore Bills on Instagram. You can find Robin at Robin C. Armstrong on Twitter. You can find Mark at uh, This is Sparky S. I find me at Matt SW86. And from the three of us, we'll say good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for listening. Keep tuning in and subscribing. And let's go, Buffalo Bills. Go, Bills. Yeah, no, no, no. You don't know anything about heart. You don't know anything about work. Huh? That's who we are. Bills on three. One, two, three. Bills.